Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, president of Seamless Docs Federal, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Hello, GovActually listeners. Thanks for digging into how government actually works with us. It's been a rough few weeks. We taped the following podcast on hurricane and emergency response back in late September, before the extent of the devastation in Puerto Rico was known. If we taped the podcast today, we'd hit on many of the same themes. But I think what is missing and what we'd like to say now is just how concerned we are for the people who are trying to get their lives back on track. We try very hard to stay away from politics and gov, actually. We know that there are public servants at all levels who are doing their best to meet the needs of the victims. We also know that policies and politics have consequences. Climate change, resilience, and even the political relationship of Puerto Rico and the U.S. government contribute to the impact and the response. The debate and the cleanup are always the longest and hardest parts of catastrophic event recovery. Nonetheless, we will put our thumb on the scale for the people who are doing the hard work of response and recovery. Our thoughts and support are with those people, the people of Puerto Rico, and other areas hard hit by recent hurricanes and in the events in Las Vegas, and also with those from the public sector and private organizations that are mobilizing to help them. Well, Danny, we're um, taping this on the first day of fall. Uh, I know it's going to come out in a little bit. Right. But we are just dealing with a string of hurricanes. And as we were talking about before, I don't think there's any more substantial expression of of government operations than emergency response. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, I'm thinking, I was like watching the news this morning and all. And, and Mexico is dealing with, at the same time that Puerto right. Rico was devastated uh, by a hurricane, Mexico is dealing with an earthquake. And watching the scenes from the rescues uh, uh, that's going on in Mexico, it's just, it's, it's incredibly inspiring. I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. It's such an awful tragedy. But I watch and I get very emotional just watching the, the community come together uh, and all the and all the coordinating that goes on and making sure that the right equipment is there, that the right disciplines are in place in terms of when they stay silent because they're listening for voices, the uh, the uh, res- the emergency response vehicles being ready to take patients in and to to hospitals where they need it, and it, it is a reminder. It's an acute moment where it really does become important that the instruments of of government and its connectivity to industry and its connectivity to hospitals, it all really comes together, unfortunately, in these crises. But just watching the footage in Mexico just reminded me of how important it is that, that the government operate effectively and be integrated with the community in a really effective way. Well, I think, I think we all remember the, um, the examples of Hurricane Andrew, Hurricane Katrina, when government emergency response was not optimized yeah. uh, to be. <laughs> well, that's, wow, you're, you're coming into the fall very politically correct. <laughs> I, I would think that the more distance we get from our government roles, right. the more free-flowing right, our, right. So our conversation. Less likely less to use scripted. a word like not optimized. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, but, uh, uh, well, I just know that there are, 
there are a lot of really, really committed, hardworking people. But I know in the case particularly of, um, of Andrew uh, that there was this big awakening that the FEMA process had become a, uh, a bureaucratic reimbursement process rather than what people needed, which was a response process. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was still in transition during Katrina. But I think, you know, I think it is really, you know, in the last several hurricanes, I think uh, they've demonstrated the fact that they really have embraced the idea of response rather than reimbursement. And I think a, a fair amount of, like, flexibility in making decisions in real time. My reflection of the Katrina response, and I, again, I have this kind of like narrow window into the parts that I was had exposure to when I was at OMB, was as the as the storm was was impacting, we were there was a lot of concern around things like fraud and error and improper payments and right. and and right. and making sure that you know you really did lose your house before they they gave a reimbursement and and we were worried about just Mm -hmm. fema officials handing out debit cards on Mm -hmm. the corners uh to anyone who would come up without without good process controls uh, and controlling that and then i think as the as the hurricane unfolded and there was a slowness of response and getting water tablet of water pallets to the superdome and all these things it was like in that moment it's more important to to make sure the benefits are flowing down Right. than necessarily over-indexing on controls. And I just feel like, based on what I've witnessed is FEMA's growth and the government's growth, from Katrina to Deepwater Horizon, and now right. what we see with respect to um, these hurricane responses is that the balance is getting a little bit better. The Coast Guard's really good at what they do. Right. And FEMA is finding that right balance in terms of being responsive, but also in a controlled environment. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a GAO report at some point where there's there's some particular problems with with how things are going that we don't seeing right now, but again, I think there's a flexibility in response and in communication and in, in ensuring juris- there's no jurisdictional turf wars because all of that which was learned in Katrina has really been embraced by the response community. Did you did you work with Director Fugate at all? Not directly. Oh, I, yeah. I had a chance to to do some work with him, and I have to say that he kind of embodied this idea of um, FEMA as response operations partner, and that was because he had come from the state level Mm, actually working on response. And he kind of knew the frustration of FEMA as as bureaucratic reimbursement entity rather than FEMA as collaborative partner. Yeah. No, and I think it's it's playing out. You know, it's just unfortunate that that it happens. Uh, And it's interesting how strained... FEMA might be, you know, you think about the Harvey and Irma, and now uh, is it Maria in Puerto Rico? Is that the name of the hurricane? Right. It, it's, you know, that's a lot of uh, response because I think one of the things, and I've heard a couple of different people talk about it, but I think one of the the big challenges of a hurricane and a response is that. There's the immediate, like, getting everyone into places where they're protected. And, and then right as the storm is passing through, and is there, there's the life-saving and rescuing people from rooftops and getting people the medical attention they need. And certainly there's some harrowing um, 
video and news coverage of that over the last few weeks. But then there's this this recovery period, which right. doesn't get as much news coverage. Right. Like the CNNs of the world, they, they pack up and they move on to the next it's, thing. It's a lot less interesting to film because it's slow and it's uh, it's complicated and it's, you know, it's 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 hard stuff. Yeah, and actually people get, you know, people are, to- my experience from this, from the government angle was people tend to be tolerant in the first 24, 48 hours, they're in they're in a right. in a shelter. They're in a high school gym. The cot is there. They are super appreciative of of, of any meals that they receive, and there's a sense of of survival in that 24, 48 hours. Um, but but then when they go back to their homes and and to the extent they're out of power for a long period of time, and there's not a return to regular order. Um, it starts to it starts to weigh on you, and that's when the government starts to come under additional pressure to make sure that they're supporting these people in a, in kind of in a way that where their customer service is at the highest possible level. Because it's one thing to I'll use an IRS story for some IRS days. It's one thing to be going through your normal life, your power's on, everything's going. It's a normal Thursday in America, and suddenly you get this letter from the IRS that looks funky, and you try to get someone on the phone, and you're on hold for 45 minutes, and you're like, well, this stinks. You know, I don't know why I got this letter, and I can't get anyone on the phone, and that's frustrating, and I think the IRS avoids sending, tries to avoid sending confusing letter and tries to avoid 45-minute waits. But if your house has been destroyed and you're going on five, six days without power and with disruption to your normal order and the school bus system isn't still off and there's logistics that you haven't had to deal with and and now you're dealing with a government situation or bureaucratic moment that you can't understand and you can't get someone on the phone or you can't get a straight answer, then it then it's it's a it's a much different level of, of frustration, and I think I think government workers recognize that 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 that's something that they have to be better at in those types of moments. I think so, and I think the apparatus has um, grown over the last couple of decades to try to be increasingly more responsive and more engaged. But if you look at the history of federal involvement in emergency response, it's actually it's it's pretty modern. It's pretty recent. The, the yeah. you know, FEMA is actually a rather new agency in and of itself. Yes. Uh, it used to be entirely, um, well, nearly entirely state, state and local responsibility. Federal government came in to kind of to, to reimburse uh, state and local activities as a, as kind of like a crop insurance type thing. But now the, the level of engagement and involvement and expectation of engagement and involvement really changed post-Andrew. Yeah. And you know what's really cool as well about the government raising its game, which I don't think gets enough attention, is these models that show where the hurricane's going right. days out. Right. It's unbelievable right. how accurate they are. I mean, are you I know, a fan of the European model or, uh, or you know the what? other one? I am just like, look, I know that it's like the old joke. You know, you make a joke about your mother-in-law, that's a classic joke, or a lawyer, and there's a little joke about the weather people, the weathermen, and they don't get it right, and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think I think they do sometimes get it wrong, but the past few weeks, when you've got these hurricanes that are just, there are still tropical storms forming way out right. in the Atlantic, hundreds and hundreds of miles from the Caribbean, right. and they're, tra- and you go down, you go back and you look at those paths that they tracked, and they were 
on point. I mean, they don't they don't have it down to like the exact latitude and longitude of where they're going to hit. But the, the, my point is, is first the science is amazing, um, and getting better, and that's really impressive. But second, the warnings that people if you think about you know, 30 years ago versus now, or even 20 years ago versus now, in terms of the ability to get people ready uh, and the system that we have. And then I'll even give out, a, like, a shout-out to, to social media. And, like, I don't know about you, but my Twitter, my Facebook, mm-hmm. everyone I knew in, in Florida were, were communicating with each other on Facebook, urging people to take the storm seriously. You know, I, I don't... I don't know if a lot of people think of social media as an area of of positive change, but there are some silver linings to it in terms of how we're communicating together. And this, in in when the storm was coming, I felt there was a sense of readiness that I hadn't seen before. Um, bec- and I think part of that was the social media dimension. Yeah, I, I've been to the NOAA um, Center at Co- in College Park, Maryland, which is one of the key centers for. Uh, storm modeling and identification and those you know the federal employees who are working there are just you know brilliant committed dedicated scientists it, it, it stretches out into the the hurricane chasers the people who actually fly planes into I these know. things to understand the speed and and then um, and then you know NASA and the satellites and the work that's done uh, with the FAA I mean a big chunk of our of our weather system was really designed to improve a the effectiveness of our agriculture and b the safety of our of our air travel. Weather is something that people get really geeky about, right? It's like <laughs> they're really into it. From the well, people talk about it a lot, but but no one does anything about it. You know, so that's <laughs> well, the thing is, is that it's like just looking at the the reporters and the meteorologists that are like out there in the hurricane getting blown around mm-hmm. and it's like there's I guess there's some kind of adrenaline rush that emerges from from significant weather events the uh, right down you, you mentioned that the talented people that are getting energized around improving their predictive abilities and and, and reporting systems and alert systems um, all the way through to uh, to the people that are covering the storms uh, in real time it's, uh, it's, I have mixed feelings about it because, first of all, I'm like, get inside. It looks dangerous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, that's part of it because there's a lot of flying debris. That's what makes me nervous. I don't feel like they're going to get blown over necessarily and hurt You're themselves. They're just going to get whacked by that like, like street sign. Like a stop sign. sign. Yeah, right. Like a stop sign flying through the air at 60 miles per hour. Right. seems like something that you'd want to avoid being out in an open space. Well, I think, I think just about the, the intellectual opposite of that are the weather scientists that you know that I met at NOAA who are working on these models that have to take into consideration the speed of the rotation of the Earth, the temperature of know. Uh, you know the and, temperature and then, gradient over hundred thousand feet, and, and they're predicting like this high pressure zone is going to move into the Central Atlantic, and that's going to put some pressure on the storm to move a little. But this front moving in, and so therefore we adjust. It's like there's a lot of uh, inputs into into the model, and ultimately it, it predicts really effectively. And again, in doing so, it's saving lives. And maybe I've heard a couple people say it, but I don't I don't think enough people have been talking about the um, the investments that we've made in this part of uh, the government and science and um, and innovation 
is bottom line savings saving lives. Yeah, well, and I, I don't, you know, in the, in the budget discussions, you don't, or, or in the debates, you don't hear about people saying, you know what, I do as president, I would double Noah's budget. Yeah. But I mean, it's the kind of thing that I think all of us would immediately feel some beneficial impact from if they got even better at that. Yeah. And it seems like the these are kind of these are kind of the investments we take for granted in the operations of government. These are the investments we take for granted in in the quality and the capability of the people who come into these jobs. And uh, I, I just I just worry that these might be the kind of investments you could break if you're not really thoughtful and careful and good stewards of them. Yeah. Well, why don't we take a break? I have a, a point to make about, and I'm gonna. And when we come back, I'll link Noah and FEMA together okay. in terms of how that that works out. Well, well, now everyone's gonna they're gonna be hanging. I can't on, believe yeah, no, on the edge I don't of mean their to give seat. such a. How do you link Noah and FEMA? All right, uh, okay. Gov actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. And Seamless Docs, the fastest, easiest way to move all your administrative data collection processes to the cloud. Seamless Docs helps make government beautiful. All right, we're back. We've all been waiting for, um, for Danny's amazing connection between FEMA and NOAA. Well, I just had a thought, and I knew oh, it was okay. time for a break. Right. So I just said, what I just said well, let's I, take a break, you, you and then I'll I, share my thought. I built it up too much? Is yeah, that what you're saying? Yeah, you probably did. Okay. Um, so here's my thought, is that, is that the, the advances of the National Weather Service also plays right into helping FEMA be more prepared. Right. Because knowing with greater precision in terms of where they're going to have to deploy resources, whether it's going to be on the uh, western shore of Florida versus the eastern shore of Florida, whether it's going to be more into the Gulf, I mean, all of that, I think, enables FEMA to, to have that much more information on how to deploy resources. I, I think that's a really good point. I've never seen agencies collaborate more affirmatively and, and um, with more kind of self-initiation than after an, after an emergency, after a, a, an event. Well, it's a crisis after, point. Right. This is something that you and I both witnessed firsthand, maybe not at, that, at a life and, and no, definitely not at a life or death level, but, um, but a crisis breaks down silos. Mm -hmm. It creates operating norms in the crisis moment that create high-functioning government because the imperative is there. And people throw away, uh, if it's done well, throw away jurisdictional biases or at least let their, let, you know, loosen them. Um, or they, they, get, they get more focused on the outcome rather yes. than the process. Yeah. So my favorite example, and I don't know what your... Um, what your best Hurricane Sandy story was. But I was GSA administrator um, uh, right around Hurricane Sandy time. And, you know, we had, we had to deal with helping the PATH train people find parts um, through our acquisition system. Now, nor right. normally PATH would not have called us and say, help us fix the PATH train. But they called DOT. DOT called us. That was also a bit of a revelation. An agency actually calling GSA and saying, "Hey, could you help us with something?" Um, and uh, we we just dove into it and we found the manufacturer and and worked on building the parts. My favorite example was a, a picture I had of a boat. It would it was, must have been like a forty five foot cabin cruiser, really nice boat, sitting on shore 
on top of some railroad tracks. And I was joking. I was like, can you imagine what the bureaucratic you know, issue of that would be on a, on a normal Wednesday, right? Because the Federal Railroad Administration might declare jurisdiction over the railroad tracks. The Coast Guard would, ju- would, would declare jurisdiction over the boat. Um, there's probably a um, there's probably a fuel tank in it, so the EPA would be out there, you know, you know, arguing over how you were going to move it. And I think you know, post you know, post Sandy, where this was not the only boat sitting in a in a you know uncomfortable spot, people came together and said, "Look, the point is to move the boat, not to decide who's in charge of moving the boat or who gets to tell the people how to move the boat." Yeah, no, I, it's, it's exactly right. I love your point about outcome focus. Um, and there's really, it's a different, you know, operating model to make a decision uh, when you have these types of situations. Everything gets streamlined. There's clear role, decision-making roles. Um, and as it turns out, you expose a lot of the bureaucracy that ends up being unnecessary to get from point A to point B. Um, and I, th- I have always felt, and I especially felt it after my experience at the IRS, is that there's so much lessons to be learned in terms of how organizations operate in a crisis. They tend to be more transparent. Um, they tend to do more stakeholder outreach uh, than they do in, in non-crisis times. They tend to think more clearly about their priorities. They tend to be more proactive in moving resources to their priorities, like who's my best person and what's my best set of assets to get to this priority. And then they, they're, they tend to be proactive on removing barriers. Like all these things, now, now let's go back to what I just said, transparency, good stakeholder engagement, clarity on your priorities, aligning resources to reflect your priorities, and barrier removal. Those are all things that I saw in a crisis, but why are they not all? I completely agree. I, yeah. I used to ask the question, can't we, can't we operate on a regular day like we do after a crisis? Um, had this great picture that someone snapped of one of our, our GSA employees, really, really, you know, smart, um, hard-charging, really committed uh, uh, person. She had, um, she lived over in New Jersey. Her works, her work was in uh, in New York City, and her job was overseeing the operations and management of a number of uh, federal buildings that were in the, the sandy path. So. You had people like the Small Business Administration or the Social Security Administration or the or um, uh, the Department of Agriculture who couldn't open to get you know the back to business checks out unless their building was cleaned out. But the person who needed to clean out the building was on the wrong side of the path train. Hmm. Well, she used her laptop, uh, went over to a uh, Pep Boys that somehow still had electricity and Wi-Fi, charmed her way onto their Wi-Fi, and sat. There was a picture of her sitting on one folding chair and her laptop on another folding chair, busy kind of tapping away, getting those federal office buildings back underway. And I like to use that picture of an example of both, like, kind of the commitment and dedication of our people, but also the ingenuity and initiative when presented with, you know, a mission-challenging problem. Yeah. No, I... I it's it, the the freedom that people feel to 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 create new paths to get to the solution is just different. There's a mood change in an organization when you move people into a war room, and and you 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 articulate uh, an imperative, and you empower people to to just get the job done. 
Um, obviously, you can't eliminate the rule, you know, certain rules and foundations that need to be in place. Like, got it. It's amazing how quickly people are able to plow through the rules, more like a checklist and and less like a list of obstructions. Yeah, and more likely to pick up the phone and call right. the right person and right. and, and and engage. Uh, organizations and, and the responsiveness is different. Um, well, I think yeah. the other the other thing you see these these centers that get stood up where all the agencies come together and they sit in the same room and they eliminate the walls, yes. they eliminate the barriers. They actually that happened get to know in, each uh, other. in Deepwater Horizon versus right. Katrina. So in Katrina, like I always think of those two juxtaposed because they were a few years apart, same region, right? Um, and so and 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 that was kind of palpable for us that um, that that there was another crisis in the Gulf region and we had the kind of the bruises of Katrina still still being felt in the White House even though it was from the Bush White House to the Obama White House it didn't matter there was still a more kind of and that's really interesting there was more kind of like a a sense of the, it was a government failure not an administration failure I never felt during Deepwater Horizon the, uh, during that crisis that the Obama administration was like, well, that was the Bush administration. Right. So, you know, they were very proactive and thinking about that as a government underperforming moment and as a government we need to uh, figure out what to do. And I, I, I thought that that was really well, impressive I, that they didn't make it political. But I, the point I was going to make is that what was different, between, one of the major main differences between Katrina and Deepwater that I remember is your point exactly. Like, I remember going over to a war room in FEMA, um, and and there was just every agency that needed to respond was there. We went around the room, and people talked about their responses, and it was just open lines of communication straight on through. Yeah, and I think um, I think that that's a that's a really interesting point, particularly around Deepwater Horizon, where you could argue that there really was no federal role, and there was a big question like, well, why is this the federal government's problem at all? Yeah. Um, but uh, your point about politics, I think, is really interesting, that for, for the most part, the politics seems to come after the event, right? There's this scorecard about whether someone did well or not. Um, uh, George uh, W. Bush suffered a lot around, um, around Katrina. Um, uh, there was then the politics post-event uh, around Sandy, and that's come back to bite you know some of those politicians in the tail now yeah absolutely. now that they're you know they now that they're looking to say hey we need some funds for rebuilding here yeah uh, well let me go back to your point why do you think deepwater horizon isn't a government response i push you on that well I, I would just say that um um yes there's a there's a government role in in responding to it but it, it wasn't it wasn't a problem they made right or it wasn't a act of nature this was there was definitely accountable folks yes. who were doing well, that work. Who, well, you know. know, we did all these Sammy's interviews recently, and mm-hmm. I remember one of the Sammy's winners from last year was the group of lawyers from right. Justice, from the Environmental Enforcement Division, right. that uh, sued. sued BP yeah. and did a really good job of holding the organization accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a you know obviously a complex litigation, but a really important um, litigation, not just to make that region whole, and who knows whether the damage is that were uh, awarded make it whole or not, who knows. But the point is is that it sets a precedent for other 
uh, oil rig operators and, quite frankly, other industry representatives in general about certain safety precautions that need to be taken place. But my point to you is when that oil rig blew and there was uh, whatever it was, hundreds, thousands of gallons of of, of oil pouring into the Gulf, (laughs) it was a lot, and it was disturbing, right, Right. to watch on TV as this thing is gushing – oil into the into the into the gulf who but the government at that moment is going to no i, I to completely plug that I, hole. I completely agree and it's interesting in the context of people basically questioning the role or the importance of the significance but then when when i don't know the cork comes out of a of a well in the, yeah. in the bottom of the gulf you know immediately the camera pans to the federal the you government know, you know what's really interesting about that time and i'll and i'll link it back to something from my childhood that i remembered that i know it's weird it's a deep cut I'm, yeah. this is going to be good yeah, yeah. trust me um what was interesting is what we didn't the government didn't know how to plug the hole right and so there was a real kind of collaborative moment there Apollo you know, they were 13. open yeah they were open like there was all kinds of like calling on people right the smart resources of the of the the United States and of the world, really, to figure out the technology, and 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 that is inspiring to me. When the government right. basically says to the to the world, you know, we need help, and then people start contributing ideas and intellectual capital into the solution. And for whatever reason, it reminds me of early, early in my childhood. Not too early, but there was this the girl who fell down the well, right? right? right. And they didn't know how to get her out. Yeah, they knew she was like thirty feet down. They could see her with a flashlight. And and they were and people were like submitting all these ideas right. for different creative ways of getting her out of the that. Peruvian well. miners, even. Yeah. yeah, I I I think they dug a side. I think they did it more conventionally. Yeah. Um, but they, I think they were worried about all kinds of implications right. of doing right. it the conventional way they did. But anyway, that's another moment of there's a crisis. The government. It's inspiring to watch the different parts of government work together. But in both the Deepwater Horizon and the Girl Down the Well, there was this sense of, like, we need ideas because this one is can't be done by the government alone. Well, I, I think these moments of crisis are, are these opportunities for major innovation as well. So maybe the last area we can talk about is how we have leveraged uh, moments of crisis to innovate. So the fear, the threat, the concern, the damage caused by storms – has led NOAA to become this incredible innovator in modeling and computing power. I know that this is a, a big going forward challenge of like, uh, you know, national and, and, and global competitiveness is who, who has the best modeling, who has the yeah. best computing power. Yeah. I was joking about the European model, but clearly, I mean, they're, they're, they're there's someone, yeah. yeah I don't know, has anyone done a comparison with. of European? They have, they have, and, and the European works great in certain circumstances and, and less great in others, and then the other, yeah. you know, and it's this classic thing that you'll know it was wrong after it happens. Right. So that's why they give you the cone and say, you know, if these cer- certain circumstances take place, it goes this way. If, if it, yeah, they yeah. don't. Well, that's OK. Yeah. It's like, you know, going back to Doug Holtz Eakins comments, the CV, former CBO director about these are not yeah, and the further intended time to be out, precise. Yeah, the range t- gets wider. Yeah. Then it's intended to kind of guide you into where a likely out to be in the likely outcome zone rather than to be kind of way off. So one of the one of the things I worked on that um, 
was kind of a, a government innovation, a service innovation that was directly tied to emergency response was our elimination of paper social security checks. And the basis for actually building the intellectual support for that activity was post-Andrew when um, the Treasury Department had to chase um, evacuees around, you know, pretty much the entire Southwest trying to get them their Social Security checks. Um, there was a lot of fraud. There were, you know, people suffered greatly because they lost their source of income. And it was all because it was driven by this paper-based check that wasn't necessary anymore. Um, there was the ability to do electronic funds transfer. We just hadn't kind of encouraged or, or insisted that that happen. And so we working actually closely with the AARP and others, put forward a regulation that says, you know, the, the, it's a negative option, right? You, you yeah. are going to direct deposit this, essentially, unless you can get a, direct, a doctor's note saying that you must have it as a paper check. And we were worried that when we put in the rule, people would lose their minds and everyone get angry. We, we nothing we got nothing back yeah. from people they they're just uh, essentially what we were told is you know what took you so long yeah that's great i love that story and maybe this is kind of some closing thought um i when i when i talk to people there's a general sense that the government just fails at change right and the change is just you know and, and even like government employees are about to take on kind of a new process you know and it's like well you know there's going to be it's just going to be a mess. Stakeholders are going to get involved, and, and all that's true. But I like to remind people with just some of the simple facts that just the government does change. We evolve. Um, and I tell people, and this kind of dates me a little bit, but my first job coming out of some, the first real job I ever had on my first day, I was issued a dictaphone. I wasn't issued a laptop or a desktop. They, they didn't have that. I, I sat in a, in, a, in, a, in an office and did work without a, without a PC. How old right? are you? I'm pretty old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, or maybe I just worked at a really like yeah. old school right. uh, organization. I'm not sure you're making the point you want to make. No, but the point <laughs> is, is like you know, it's like okay, there was a time not that long ago. Sure. I'm really not that old. Where that, that was the world, and now we operate, you know, in a world where the, the, everything's done on email, and there's, you know, and people don't even have PCs anymore. Now they have laptops and different workstations. Most employees now are issued a personal device like a BlackBerry, or now it's an iPhone. And um, and the point is, is that you know, the government operates differently, and we do avail ourselves of, of technologies, and we do things like change from paper to to electronics and you can now track your tax refund on find my find my uh, refund app and you know the reality is is that the government does resign your, your example is great because it just says like these crises that we're talking about not only does the government come together and operate more fluidly than you see in normal working order but also can lead to to accelerating these types of, of changes because there's a compelling reason put in front of in front of people well, I think we've got a couple more topics then for follow-up uh, podcasts. I, I think it'd be great to have uh, you know one of the one of the FEMA leaders or key professionals who can talk a little bit about the evolution of the role. If we want to geek out a little more and deep dive on that, yes. Um, the other thing is this, um, and this has been a recurring theme. We've had this conversation a couple times. I think we can have it a couple more. You know, what does it take to change something like? you know, going from paper social security checks to electronic ones. And 
a lot of that is a, an issue of leadership. And in that case, it was the um, uh, fiscal assistant secretary, the highest rank civil servant at uh, Treasury, Dick Gregg, who is a real leader in saying, wow, we really need to go do this. And, you know, there's no, there's no legal motivation. There was no, there was no, you know, the, the president didn't run on it. It was yes. just really a person in the building, deep experience, who felt like this was the right time, this might be the right group of people, it's a and great let's point. see if we can go push it. It's a great point, it's a, and it, it's a, it circles back to the point I was making, which is in a crisis, what are the indicators, what are the characteristics that make government operate more fluidly and more effectively, and what can we learn from that? And then when you've seen paradigm-shifting changes, like, for example, the entire government moving from you know faxing to email as a way of communication or whatever the or, or moving uh, uh, complete applications that were paper based to online all of that what were some of the indicators that enabled that change to occur maybe it was just that it was time but no there's some business case that underlies that um, and if we can get a better sense of what are the major drivers that led to the change, then when we're dealing with these new changes, maybe we can make them more fluid and get the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, take that approach versus some of the approaches we sometimes take. Well, that, that will be the, uh, the encouraging mm-hmm. suggestion to everyone who's listening. We need a change management expert to oh, come we, on we board. Some would say that you and I are change management experts, yeah, but, well, you know, but we would get, get a third opinion. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. We got to stop because uh, uh, there's a giant chocolate chip cookie. I know. It both sitting on the table, it, right, for this whole taping. Right. And it's been painful not I, to eat. I actually think it's been incredibly disciplined that there's still a big giant chocolate chip cookie. Sitting yeah, here. It's, it looks amazing. So, all right, Dan. Until next time. All right, Danny. See you later. Thanks for listening to Gov Actually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.